Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. It was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk, can yield big rewards. Like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. This is Sex, Lies, and Spray Tans with me, Cheryl Burke, and iHeartRadio Podcast. My next guest is a living legend in his own right, who is a very well-known comedian, podcast host, actor, and author. He gained fame as a co-host alongside Dr. Drew of the radio and television show Loveline and became a prominent figure in the podcasting world, being in the Guinness Book of World Records with the highest number of downloads for his podcasts, where he often touches on controversial subjects. My next guest is known for his candid and unfiltered approach and proved all of that during season six when performing his pasta doble with his partner, Julianne Huff, as his grand entrance goes down in history when he rode in on his unicycle. He did that with his Latin Cuban heels tied on tightly, his pasta doble cape tied around his neck with a Zorro mask over his eyes. And let's not forget, he also sported that memorable mustache on his face. I mean, if you don't know who I'm talking about yet, then shame on you. But in all seriousness, please welcome Adam Carolla to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Welcome to Sex, Lies, and Spray Tans. It's been a long time since we've seen each other. Season eight, wait, six was in 2008. Is that correct? Um, I don't know what season I did. Six. Oh, six. Yes. Uh, but 2008 but, sounds about right. Wow, 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 wow. Okay, first off, why do you think comedians find it hard to ballroom dance? Comedians in general aren't good at other things other than comedy. Okay. So they were never the jocks in high school. They, they're not welders. They don't <laughs> fix transmissions. Almost every comedian... I know just goes like, oh, you know, my car won't start. And I'll go pop the hood and they'll go, why? And I'll go, right. I don't know, maybe the battery's dead. And I don't even know what that is. Right. Like they they work as, you know, bartenders and waiters and stuff like that. And then they get into comedy and they become comedians. But as a group, they do not possess other skills. Got it. Whereas... 
other professions, they many people have other skills or hobbies mm-hmm. or something like that. Trades. None none of them worked in the trades. None of them played football in high school. Like it just it's very rare that right. comedians possess other skills. But you you do. Yeah, I well, I started off as kind of a jock, and then I turned into a carpenter, and then I just drove a truck, and you know, <laughs> I just worked, you know, and then comedy sort of came later. But but by the time I found comedy, I mean, by the time I f- was able to make a living doing comedy, I had been a boxing coach and a carpenter, and and oh. had had all sorts of other jobs, you know, sort of manual kind of blue blue collar stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, and I did it for, you know, I wasn't, my situation wasn't like a lot of comedians or a lot of people they'll go like, Oh, I used to work with my uncle's construction firm, you know, during the summer when I was going to Dartmouth or something. And I go, yeah, but I didn't go to college. I I just worked full time as a, as a carpenter. You never went to college. Same. Never went to college. You know, who knew ballroom dancing was going to make primetime TV. Yeah. So speaking of when, how long did you know prior to Dancing with the Stars? So did you meet? How did this whole thing lead up to you walking into the rehearsal space? Um, I got a call from my agent after doing a morning show shift, which I was taking over for Howard Stern out on the West Coast and some other markets as well. And um, I just got the call and I just sort of said, yeah, all right. And uh, I didn't ask any questions or I didn't I didn't um, lobby for working with this person or that person or have, have you seen the show before? Uh, I'd seen the show. Yeah. Um, my recollection, I mean, the show is pretty ubiquitous. You, you had to have seen it. You know, did I watch it and, you know, tune in every week? Probably not. But I probably watched it enough. Like I knew I definitely knew what it was and I'd seen it and <clears throat> I was frightened. And but I had no conditions i was just like when do we start and they're like you know two weeks or something i was like okay did anyone in your team or family friends your circle of people say do not do the show no i've I've never had that kind of relationship with um family members or team members or any members right they don't tell you what to do well it's not that they my my media family doesn't really know what i do so then they don't really be neither here nor there to them (laughs) i mean i don't think they would watch it anyway okay so they were nice enough but just not really into stuff i was doing okay so um nobody in my inner immediate circle would have had an opinion. Had an opinion about it. Right. Now, so. Right. And, but I wouldn't have asked and they wouldn't have had one. So. Well, that's not. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people give their opinion regardless, but you seem to have a great solid group of people around you that uh, that, that doesn't need to do that. The, o- the only person in my life that ever would be like, don't do this or you shouldn't do that or why are you saying this or doing that or something would be Jimmy Kimmel. And he was in the audience supporting you. Yeah, and he he was the show that everyone went to when they got booted, (laughs) you know. So he could hardly be the one to tell me (laughs) not to do it since he was so involved. Oh, very involved, yes. So, um, no, nobody said anything. But he never said anything. He just said, you know what, power to ABC, more power. Yeah, he, like I said, he's got a lot of hot takes about what I should be doing and shouldn't be doing. And he's mostly right. Right. Because my thing is, is I don't, (laughs) I don't really have, I shouldn't say a filter, but like someone goes, why don't you do this person's show or that person's show or whatever? I'm just like, yeah, okay. 
Yeah. Easy going. Ish. In the sense that I, I'm not that important, you know, if, you, if you're nice enough to ask for me to come on your show, then I would do it. Like if, if someone I've never heard of said, could you call this guy's radio show in Spokane tomorrow morning at 8 a.m.? I'd That's go, nice. yeah, okay. You're not one to like, how many downloads does this person have? You're like, no, no, that's good. It's just talking. And yeah. you know, I used to work, you yeah. know, I used to work on roofs and yeah. bust out stucco and stuff. Like I worked, you yeah. know, and yeah. so I never looked at show business is work right. per se, you know? So like even now I'll go out and they'll go, oh, the two Naples shows are sold out on Friday when I add a third show and I'll go, yeah, okay. And then someone will go, three shows in one day. And I'll go, it's just talking. Do you think that's your secret to success because you're not so result-oriented? I don't know that I have a, you know, a secret, no secret to, to I get success. It. Yes, and I don't yes. even know what success is you know, exactly. It's, it's hard to define right. myself. Um, well, you're still working. That's success. I work a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and I've always worked. And I mean, I, you know, I'm, I was thinking about it. It's like I'm been i'm coming up on 30 years in in comedy and i've never missed a day i mean i and i'm not the most motivated person but it's a it's a business that's you know here today and gone tomorrow and Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people you can't remember from 10 years ago who were doing pretty good and i just brought a kind of blue collar kind of work ethic to it just get up put your boots on go to work Right. And that's what I think of and comedy. Show up. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I just I just did I did four shows in Phoenix over the weekend and then when I got home Sunday, uh Southwest Burbank Airport, uh <laughs> I had two shows in San Diego last night and I wow. just I just got home, took a nap, cleaned myself up a little, got in the car, drove to San Diego and wow. got home at one thirty in the morning last night. So Dancing with the Stars is scheduled. What was pitched to you versus what was reality? Um, I I don't remember what the pitch schedule was. Right. I remember going, well, how many hours a day do we got to go? And I'm pretty busy and I'm working full time and so on and so forth. Do you have days off? Yeah, I I was pretty busy. And so I just sort of said, to uh, Julianne, we'll do two hours a day, and however far we get on yeah. two hours a day, that's that's what we'll do. And so that's that's kind of how it worked for me. What was your first impression of uh, Miss Julianne Huff when you walked in through the door? Did you know it was going to be her? Did you know her? I didn't know her. Obviously, she's very beautiful, and she was perky, and you know, <laughs> and she'd won, you know, the yes. time that uh-huh. we, you know, the year before, whatever that was. Elio, I think, was it Elio Castro. Yeah, yeah, Elio Castro or yeah. Apollo Anton Ono, one of the two. No. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I think Elio was uh, the yeah. one that went uh, next. But anyway, she's beautiful and she was fun and kind of nice. And I, I sort of thought of her as a kid, you know. Right. Um, and I guess she kind of was a kid back then. And uh, I was like, oh, good. I got, I got the one and one the right. year before, you know. Yeah. And 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 she was nice and and all that. So I was like, okay. And and we just started off. And how was your communication? Was it uh, like when she was teaching you? Because like, look, you know, yes, you've played football. And I think that you probably would be a a dream to coach because uh, you could tell that you are also a a good student, you know, since you've been kind of around that. Yes, I wasn't a good student in in high school, but I I not maybe book smart, right? 
No, no, not book smart. But you could teach me things. Right. I mean, if you told me, if you told me, like, look, uh, walk down the street 100 yards, go left, go another 100 yards, then go right, it'll be the building on the third building on the left, I would just go and do it. Right. You know, I could always, because all football was was that, which I did for a long time. And then after that, that's all carpentry was. It was just being taught. It wasn't, you know, I became a carpenter and I never read a book on carpentry and I never saw a video on carpentry. It was just some dude named Russ and they told (laughs) you what to do. And you, you knew what a tech screw was or a sheet metal screw or a coarse thread bugle head drywall screw, you know, and they what just the hell? they just keep going and going. And it, I mean, the thing about carpentries, it's like, first thing you have to learn is like, what's the difference between a pony wall? What's a king stud? What's a jack stud? What's a header? What's what? a bottom plate? What's a top plate? What, what's the difference between a <laughs> joist and a rafter? Wow. You know what I mean? Like, and so because you can't do carpentry if you're like, what's the thingy? Right. Over there. It's like. Same thing with dance, a cha cha. Like, what's a cha cha lock and a fan and an alamana versus a New Yorker? Now I'm confused. Yeah, that's what you sounded like to me just. But I learned everything, and and it was because someone told me. Right, right, right. And so I just got used to listening to people who knew what they were doing. Right. And I would. I would listen to them. Did you guys ever, was there any uh, room for, because you said you only rehearsed two hours, mm-hmm. right? Which is, mm-hmm. I think, probably the world record for um, the least amount of rehearsal and still being able to, ex- I'm not saying this in a, in a weird way, but it's like you were able to execute actually really good dances for oh. what you were giving as far as hours go. Because back in the day, we used to not have limits, right? So mm-hmm. we used to be able to, we want to book uh, this studio. Now they have Dancing with Star Studio. So everyone's under one roof. Hence why they also can only limit each couple mm-hmm. for four hours. But uh-huh. back then, we used to go to studios in LA. Yes. And they'd rent it from like 10 to 6. Yeah, right. Um, but you were very clear that you only, because you had another job. How did you retain this information? You must have rehearsed in your head. Uh, Julianne, I think... Did we have cell phones back then? <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I mean, not with cameras and stuff. Okay. But I think what... Uh, here's what happened. I had like a little recording device, or Julianne got it for me or something. Uh-huh. And it was like a little video, something, something... I probably don't make we don't need them anymore. I, I know what you're phone. saying. I know and, and I would film doing the dance and then I could when I had some downtime or off time or whatever, I could look at it and kind of go, all right, it's left foot first and then then right. follow with this okay. and then go that. And that that's kind of you, you what were like I did. Emmett Smith when he would just actually rehearse like that. Because that that's where the I feel like that's where the um foundation lies. Because without that how do you work on anything else? Yeah, I mean, there's a few things. One is I, I am a I am a quick study. If you tell me, you know, I've done some some car racing, and if I get into a car and I've never been in it before, and you kind of say that's a sequential shifter and it's one up and it's four down or whatever, and you do this, and here's where that is. I'll know it in in a couple of minutes, and then I can go race the car like in a real race. Like I'll, I'll be fine with it. I'm, I'm I catch up, I catch on fast, and I sort of download fast. Okay. I don't I don't really get much better. <laughs> I have this weird thing where 
I'm real good at stuff fast, but I don't get better much past the first day. In a, in a weird, so in you a don't weird improve. Way. Not to I, you, to I, yourself. Well, my sort of way I do things is I will learn something like someone else took a week to do it. I'll do it in a day. And then you would assume that it'll, then when a week goes by, I'll be so much better, but I only improve like 10% after the first day. I get it, I get it fast. And then the first time. So your first I, dance was a foxtrot. Oh, it was. Yes. Yes. And what was your feeling? So, like, did you ever, I don't think you ever forgot your choreography because I can tell by just watching what I watched when I, when during your time, but what was it like? Right before, you know, you hear the click, click, click before the music starts. Yeah. What was the feeling going through your body? Um, I, I had a I had a, a thought. I remember being in the makeup trailer or something like that. I had some, I had yes, a few, I had, right. I had a little time before it was time to dance. And I remember going, all right, I should kind of go over this in my head a little bit here. And I, I kind of stood in this space and I went, all right, let's see, click, click, click. And I, I like stepped forward with my right foot and then I pulled it back and I went, wait a minute, was it the right foot or the oh, left foot? The and then I went, oh my God, that's the first step. That's the first step. You're not sure one step into this dance, whether which foot you step out with. And I remember kind of thinking at that point, like, oh man, that's not a that's an eerie harbinger. That's not a good sign. I was like, oh. <laughs> Is it like the yips? Yeah, it's like the yips in baseball. Okay. And if that's what you're referring to. What's the to. yips? Yeah, I'm only saying that because I heard some you say this uh, just recently, but yeah. Uh, the yips in baseball happened to one or two players. I can't remember who it was. It was a famous Dodger, I think, second baseman. And he, one day after playing you know, his entire life, because, you know, you don't get into the Major League Baseball unless you start playing when you're five, you know? Right. And he's five years into the league or whatever, and, like, a ground ball gets hit to him, and he does this kind of double clutch and, like, bounces it to the first baseman, who was, like, 15 feet away. And then the next time he did it again, and it's called the yips. It's like when you're in your head. It's the worst. And you're not able to do something you've been doing your whole life or that comes naturally or whatever. You went all the way through high school and college and semi-pro and whatever. And now all of a sudden, he's eight years in the league and he's bouncing the ball to the first base. And he's, he's, he's in That's his head. so bad. I know that feeling. Yeah, I think, I think, we've, all, I think we've all been there. Is that what point. happened to you for the premiere? The premiere was... I got the yips in the trailer, but then when it came time to just sort of be on the dance floor, I just went, well, the music's going to fire up and you're just going to do what you're going to do. And I'm not really sure how that's going to turn out, <laughs> <laughs> but you're going to do what you're going to do. And I did so much like boxing and football and yeah. stand up and stuff it's that all routines, right? I kind of knew... I wasn't, I never been worried about the, the lights and the stage and the, the moment being like too big or, or, or too exhausting or, or too devastating emotionally. You know, I was always like, you know, I used to play colleges with Dr. Drew like way back in the day. I love and that guy. There'd be, we'd play venues that were 5,000 seat venues, you know, and I, I just, 
I'd be standing backstage, like just going, when are we starting? And I, I, I didn't have any feelings about it, you know, and mm. I'd just walk out there like, and, and it just didn't feel like anything to me. And I've, I've always, I've been that way most, most of my time. So even with 18 million or whatever, cause it was pretty, the, I mean, the ratings back then were definitely different than now. Obviously TV's changed, but it was a million, multiple millions of people, at least like at least 20, I think is something I read. Yeah. No, I no, had, I had no thoughts about it. So you didn't feel any nervousness. You were just like, you know what? I'm just going to let my bot, my muscle memory take over. I felt energy. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like, well, this is an average Wednesday night. <laughs> you know, I I understood what it what it was. Yeah. And I understood that there's no way you could be in this environment and not feel. Of course. Something, you know, but. That's kind of where it ended. Yeah. I didn't think about people home watching or how many people were watching, and I didn't. I didn't get the yips, and I. I felt like hmm. I. I always felt sort of. I. I. I was a bad student, and you know, if you would have asked me, you know, when I was twelve, you know, Adam, come up to the chalkboard. Let's see how your spelling is. I would have been like, oh God, <laughs> no, please, dear God, no, you know, but. When it came to anything physical, I was always just kind of like, yeah, let's do it, you know? Yeah. And um, that's kind of the way I felt. I didn't feel like I was a good dancer. I just felt like it's something physical mm-hmm. and and I could I could do this. Did uh, the judges, okay, so back then, the judges were pretty harsh. Uh-huh. Um, and actually, I'm doing these rewatches on the podcast, and we're starting, I started from like all the way back to season one, and they were even worse then. Did you get affected uh, mentally by how their, I guess their comments sometimes weren't um, of constructive criticism? Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, <laughs> I was like, but I was covered because i was under no illusion i was a good dancer right or even an experienced dancer or any competency at all in it so i was sort of like you know a supermodel who had to drive in a go-kart race i was like no one expects claudia schiffer to win this race right i mean she's barely and and so i was like i i had no pressure right because i was a comedian from the man show, you know, that just right. wasn't the burden of... So your ego wasn't in the way. Yeah, like, for instance, I've done uh, the Toyota Celebrity Grand Prix like five times, and, and I've won two times. So and fun. when I did that, I was like, you are capable of winning this goddamn race. <laughs> Let's hope you do. But there's 20 other people who want to do it too, right. you know? Right. And... Uh, the last race I did, I was in first place for a minute. Then, then I wasn't. Then the little incident, a couple incidents happened, and I came in fourth. I was goddamn miserable really? about it because, and still am, oh. <laughs> and it's been ten years. Uh, and the reason I was miserable about it is because I I'd won it twice, and oh. I knew I had the ability to do it to be better and and I didn't finish how I wanted to finish but I I knew that I was capable of it cuz you had done it. Yeah, everyone else who was in it had also won themselves so it was kind of an all-star cast so it was a lot of pros and and yeah. stuff. So it was my work was cut out for me but I still should have done better and I didn't 
and I I kind of beat myself up uh, uh, on it a bit. And you're still upset after ten years. If if you were to ask me what is a negative thought that I put in my head, and I sort of look back on, it was definitely the All Star uh, Celebrity Pro Grand Prix, and that's just the self talk. Obviously, you mean because like no one else probably thinks that you could have done better. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure they're not thinking about it. You know? <laughs> uh, I was just beating. Uh, yeah, you're beating yourself up as we all do. Yeah, yeah, I was just, yeah. I was just beating my, beating myself up. Did you yeah. ever do that on Dancing with the Stars? No, because there was no like. It's not like you had the mirror ball in your hand. Yeah, prior. no, I, I, no, I never did that because I was like, uh, I'll, I'll be happy if I make it through my first dance. <laughs> you know. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on, you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. 
all these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so did you call Carrie a bitch? I did. <laughs> and I forgot I did it. And I was on live television. Yeah, and they told me I did. Yeah, and I was like, no, I didn't. I didn't say even it. see you do that. But I didn't say it, and and they're like, yeah, you said it, and I was like, I did out loud. Uh, yeah. Or was it a reaction from like a five, and you're like, bitch? No, I I I called her a bitch. Wow. And I didn't have a recollection of it. Did they? They weird. didn't bleep you. No, I don't. I don't believe they did. <sighs> But I can't. That's amazing. Because I was like, I was watching the second week and I was like, she was referring to that. And I was like, wait, what? And I didn't even see that at all. Anyway, it's interesting that they paired you with someone like Julianne. Because back then, you know, she was very, uh, <laughs> she was like that girl next door, you know. She came from, you know, she was definitely, uh, you kept harping on her about the whole Mormon thing with Samantha Harris back in the day in oh, the Red I Room. Did, huh? It was I was crying laughing. I think we all were behind you guys. But those were those moments. I always say, you know, this is the order of importance, I think, on Dancing with Stars. It's never the dance. I think first it is the package that they air because people do vote and people want to be a part of that journey with you. And they don't, this is why the most talented dancer, I believe, never wins. Because it's like, this is why Emmett Smith won versus Mario Lopez. Because who wants to, you're not supposed to have any dance experience, right? Like, and if you do, great. You just get from a great dancer to a great dancer. But like with Emmett, he was, you know, it's always the underdog. And I believe after the package comes that interview with Samantha Harris. And I think that, for me, watching it back, it's like, wow, I really got a chance to see you as well as a person. And I see why your time. I mean, you lasted pretty long compared to most um, people with no dance. I mean, you were about halfway through. I think I did four dances and then I did the dance of the night thing, which is weird because I <laughs> got booted. I No, they used to. Yeah. I don't know if they still do. They'd go, our favorite dance from last week or yes, whatever, yes, whatever yes. it was. Oh, you, yes, because you, we had result shows back then. There's yeah. no more result shows. Oh, okay. So so I was like... This, and then you got the boot. Yeah, I, I said, I, it, it has to be rare. <laughs> you would know. I wouldn't. But no, I, they've I'm, done that before. I remember thinking, it's got to be few and far between where you get the dance of the night and the boot for that dance. Well, I mean, let's just be real. I'm no longer on the show, but like they, they knew already you got the boot, but they still voted. The judges voted for you to have that dance. Does it happen often? Well, that dance, I mean, first of all, that never ha- hasn't happened since over a decade because we don't have result shows. Oh, I see. Um, but that has happened once, I think with Pamela Anderson. I'm hmm. pretty sure. 
Mm. But, you know, your dance was freaking entertaining. We're talking about when you basically did the Paso Doble and you, there you go, like on your unicycle. Yeah. You do that huge reveal and then you seamlessly, this is, I'm not even joking, transition from the unicycle to doing chasse capes and twist turns and no one said anything. Like meaning, like the judges were just harping on you for whatever. I but remember, no, that is hard. I remember. Oh God, maybe it was Lynn. God rest his soul. Or I can't oh, I remember know. or who it was. But I remember it was funny. Everyone, <laughs> they must not possess unicycles in England because they're like, you were on the bike with the one wheel, and like they didn't. He even said know. that. I, somebody said unicycle. Maybe something. maybe Bruno. Maybe it was Bruno. Yeah, uh, they they didn't seem impressed. I I was no, like, definitely not. I was like, hey, riding unicycles, something, and it yeah. was it was hard in that environment because. <laughs> but you're in a ballroom, for God's sakes. I was not. You know, I rode the unicycle when I was a kid, but I hadn't been on one in, in a while, so I had to kind of tune myself up a little bit. Right, muscle the, memory. The reason <laughs> that was a little bit hard for me, as I recall, is. Um, Dance shoes are smooth leather on the bottom, and they're not good. They're not good for unicycling. No. Your foot will slide off the pedal. Right. And but I needed to wear the dance shoes to do the dance. But unicycle shoes, are like running shoes, are the best. They're something with some grip and some tread. Yeah. You know, for yeah. the unicycle. I didn't even think about that. So I do. You had your Latin Cuban heels on too. I, I had my heels on, oh so I was like. This is going to be tough to ride this unit because your foot's going to slip off that pedal <laughs> and it's not going to be good. So I do have a recollection of going, you should work this out. Like, don't just practice in your tennis shoes, you know, get yeah. get your dance shoes on and get yeah. on that unicycle and get the feel for it. And I think I even took like some black grip tape and wrapped Sweet. it around the pedals so I could just get a little bite. I could feel it a little better. And then I also remember that I was going to be off in the wings and I was going to have to launch from the dark or it was dark where oh, I was. because I needed, Yeah, I needed yeah. it dark where I took off from. And also things you don't think about before you ride a unicycle and dance with the stars. The stage is built on a slab and it's raised like three inches and there's oh, a little wow. ramp. There's a little rubber thing, you know, so you don't trip on it or uh-huh. whatever. But I had to launch from the slab. So I knew my first thing was going to be getting up this hump onto the stage. And I was like, you could eat shit right as you're entering the stage because you're not on the stage. Right. I started off the stage. Right. So, yeah, from like downstage left or right. Yeah, if you were or, facing yes. the audience, it'd be the right corner, right down. And so also... Other weird little unicycle things. Fascinating. I I was used to sort of hopping up and, and getting up on my unicycle, but I didn't do a lot of starting from being up. And because of the way the thing was timed out. And your cape around your neck. <laughs> the cape, the, the mask was a little weird because your peripheral vision's a little screwed up in the cape. Uh, but I started up on the unicycle and I was holding on to a camera rig. I was holding oh, on to like a the steady gym. Cam. Yeah, I was, hanging, the, yeah, I was okay. hanging on to the crane. And so I was like up and I was on it and I was kind of uh, my feet under <laughs> me and I was on the unicycle and I was hanging on with my arm to the to the crane. Oh. In the dark. 
though in the black right, right, you right, know right. it's right. supposed to be dark back there you don't want to see the crane right, right so right. i was back in the dark and i knew i was going to take like three or four pedals and then i was going to make it up that hump onto the stage up I this weird exactly rubber ramp thing yes, you know yes it's like it's the kind of thing they would use if they're running cords through something that put something <laughs> over it. it's like a little ramp speed bump you know but i was like i'm gonna take off in these dance shoes in the dark and i'm gonna hit that speed bump and there's a chance I may not make it onto the stage on the unicycle. You know, it was a grand entrance, Adam. Once I made it, <laughs> once I made it onto the stage, I was like, "All right, now, now I'm off and running." And I, I mean, you you obviously did dress rehearsal and you did camera blocking, doing that same thing, correct? Yeah, I mean, I kind of remember going, "Look, I should wear the mask and get used to holding <laughs> the cape out and and kind of get used to the cape and yes. the mask and the stuff because it's all." Affects things, and no you know? one said a thing. It's so disappointing. <laughs> oh, that shit judge, is so. It is the so judges hard. Didn't say anything, that yeah. is hard. Yeah, I, I remember kind of at the time. I didn't haven't thought about it in a while, but I remember at <laughs> the time going, "Yeah, no one said like, hey, nice job on the inside or something." They just kind of went like, eh. "Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher." I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us, so we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on, you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. 
This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We do this thing called rapid fire on sex lies and spray tans. Who falls in love first, the celebrity or dancer? Boy, I I would say the celebrity. Hardest dance you did. I don't know the names of them. That's okay. Favorite judge. Oh, well, since he's gone, we'll go with Len. Least favorite judge. Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> Comedian dance off. Who would win? You or Jeffrey Ross? I would win Jeff Ross, but that's that's not saying much. Nikki Glaser versus your favorite DL Hughley. Oh, I can't. I hadn't seen either one of them dance, but I'll I'll go with Nikki. She, women are more. Chris Kattan versus Andy Dick. Oh, Chris, Andy's high as a kite. <laughs> Matt Walsh versus Drew Carey. Oh, ah, Drew's lost a lot of weight. We'll go with Drew. <laughs> One word that describes some of your fellow Dancing of the Stars co-stars, Tom Bergeron. Decent. <laughs> He's a good man. Samantha Harris. Um, fine. I, di- I didn't really spend a lot of time with her. Len Goodman. Good. Carrie Ann. Go ahead. Uh, I didn't have a beef with any. You know, I knew I knew what the job was. They knew what the job was. I get it. Bruno Tonioli. Gay. <laughs> Priscilla Presley. Gayer. Stop it, Jason Taylor. Uh, tall. <laughs> so freaking tall. Christy Yamaguchi. Fierce. Shannon Elizabeth. Fine. Christian De La Fuente. Hot. Steve Steve Gutenberg. Remember that man? The Goot. Yeah. Affable. Do you remember when he used to spend the night at the... This is back in the day before rules. He used to spend the night at the dance studio because he would rehearse so many hours. Anya Trebonskaya, his partner, would just leave him there. Are you serious? Yeah, I thought that's why you were, you made a joke about him during the live show when you were standing there next to Tom. I thought that was what you were referencing, but now I, I don't was? think... I was? Maybe I was. I, I he would sleep there. I he, he had a barbecue at his house and invited <laughs> everyone over, and I remember that. Okay. Marley Matlin... Oh, well, Marley Matlin's interpreter's a dude, and I don't like it. You got to get a female. She has a female voice. She's like, I fell in love with the dance. I fell in love with the dance. You you know, it's it's no good. Penn Gillette. Big, smart. (laughs) Monica Sellis. Uh, Depressed. Last one, Marissa Jarrett-Winoker. 
Oh, I got a story for her. God, go ahead. She, I got off stage <laughs> and she was a ball of nerves. Like she Aww. was really, a, she was a bundle, bundle of nerves. And <laughs> I got off stage and I could tell she was just in a bad way, super nervous about dancing. And so she was there and I, and you know, people come up to people when they're super nervous or whatever, and they go, hey man, have fun out there. Come on, you gotta have fun. And it's like, I'm not gonna have fun. I wanna throw up (laughs) and I'm freaking out about now. I'm having an anxiety attack. I'm gonna have fun out there. You know what I mean? So I walked up to her because I see she was like struggling, you know? And I thought, let's see if you can bring some wisdom to this, to this, you know? And I thought, I don't think it'd be one of those have fun out there. Or, oh, don't listen to anybody or pretend everyone's in their underpants or don't be nervous or something. That's, that's, none of that works. So I walked up to her and I go, and Penn Jillette was standing there. He was trying to help too. He's the tallest. She's the <laughs> shortest. You know. And I, and I just go, look, you're not going to have fun out there. But you, you know what you're going to have? You're going to have an experience. You're going to have experience that you couldn't trade for anything. Any such... <laughs> A crazy experience and a fun. Yeah, you got fun. Go see a movie. You know what I mean? Go play lawn darts. Have fun. You know, but that's not going to be fun. This is an experience, experience you can't buy. You know, this is incredible. And I said, you know, ha- childbirth, having a child, is it fun? No. Would you miss it for the world? It's experience. I was like, that's what this is. This is childbirth. It's the most important experience you're ever going to have. And she goes, uh, I just had ovarian cancer and I can't have kids. Oh, no. And Pendulette started laughing like a, like the insane atheist he is. <laughs> Pendulette's like, what? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And I was just like, uh, what? Oh, God. I guarantee if you if you oh look her up, she had some sort of cancer, something, <laughs> no, and she right. had, and she yes. survived, but oh she can't have kids. God. And Pendulette oh. started screaming with fault. laughter. He loved it. I can't. Okay, two fan questions before I die. At the James Bennett, have you gotten fewer career opportunities since you got more vocal about your political views, Adam? It never helps to be too vocal in Hollywood, but uh, I've never based anything on career opportunities. I my job is speak, yes, make jokes, say what I want, exactly, and that's why I'm here. And two hours of dance at Miss that's Sunny right. Gal. What was your mindset going into dancing? Was it fun or was it something for you to prove? Last one. Um, it was like a little, not a lot of fun because I was, like I said, I was getting up at five every morning and going to oh, work. Yeah. It was made for a long day. Yeah. Um, but it was a real experience and I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. And I didn't, I didn't feel like I had anything to prove other than I wanted to know that I did the best that I could do, which was not that good, but it was still <laughs> the best I could could do i didn't want i didn't want to like screw the pooch you know i would have been you know if i popped up on the stage and did a brody on the unicycle and fell off i'd be pissed totally and i'd be disappointed and i'd be like come on man you can ride a unicycle why'd you fall off you you know like (laughs) it's easy to fall off a unicycle but i felt like i'm good enough Hell to ride yes. this unicycle, so and transition into chasse capes. The transition, God the fact damn it! That you brought that up. Come on, I give you a, a TED. Puts a smile on my face. Thank you, Adam. Thank you for your time. Thanks for having me. 
Make sure you guys follow us at Sex, Lies, and Spray Tans on our Instagram handle and make sure you comment. Let me know who you want me to interview. What do you all think? Let me know. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. It was trying to brand us. We were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.